You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Islanders country, hello. This is P.T. Isles, the Soak It In edition. Alongside No Fogelman, I'm Isles Blog's Joe Bono. A reminder, you can listen to this show and all Lighthouse Hockey podcasts on iTunes. Please rate and review or find us on Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or over at LighthouseHockey.com. Lighthouse Hockey, your SB Nation home for your New York Islanders coverage. Coming up, my interview with New York Post columnist Mike Vaccaro, who gives us his unique perspective on what the Islanders have accomplished and what it means to this fan base. But first, Noel, it has been an eventful week. I mean, it has been a joyous week. It's probably the most exciting, satisfying week I've been an Islander fan. And I'm sure I'm not the only person. I mean, I'm 46 years old, so I pretty much missed the tail ends of the dynasty became a fan the drive for five so you know that was disappointing and then all we can go through the next you know 40 years but we're not going to do that now but the last week starting with game four win against the Bruins leading up to yesterday has been fantastic four game winning streak this team is playing some unbelievable hockey we're getting some recognition I mean polls you know we're the america's team now it's it's all this stuff it's just fantastic <laughs> uh, you know we're, we're getting some respect which we, you know honor fans are weird because they always look for attention from national media and they don't want the respect exactly we get the respect we don't want your respect right uh, but yeah, we absolutely we'd rather have it be in our uh 
you know, in our ammunition more so than anything else at this point. Right. Yeah. But like starting with, you know, I guess we can start with yesterday. I mean, for the first 58 minutes, that game was like a perfect road game. Unbelievable. But of course, Islander fashion, they never make it easy. So we had a sweat for the last like two minutes of that game. Uh, that crowd was, it, it was like they were back in the bubble. That crowd was just at- atrocious. And um, I mean, yeah, Greg Wyshynski, he tweeted out before the game that there was a good amount of Islander fans right. in representation, right? And I was like, okay, you know, Florida, I can see a lot of you know Islander fans making that, either making the trip or being there and making sure they get at the game. And you know, the Lightning fan base is not as rabid to where right. the point you're not going to be able to get tickets if you want yeah. to go. But to the point where you're hearing audibly through the television, let's go Islander chance in the third period, there was really nothing for them to cheer about. So not only was it a crowd that was not revved up at the yeah. start that you would expect a game right. one of a conference final or semifinal, whatever you want to call it this year, they were, so that first 10 minute push that you always have to be worried about on the road that yeah. the Islanders had to get through game one in Boston game right. five in Boston, that same, yeah. like, can you absorb the first 10 minutes to the game here? Right. That, that didn't even factor no. in, in this Not game whatsoever. And honestly, the Islanders could have been up one or two, nothing. Vasilevsky had made, made a number of really big exactly. saves. So did Varlamov, but in the first period, especially, and then they get the goal from Barzell. Stamkos makes a bad play turnover to Josh Bailey. That's the wrong guy you want to Absolutely. make a turnover. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but he makes an amazing, beautiful pass springs, Barzell, who who goes goes five hole, um, and they get the one nothing lead, and from that point all the way up to past the Pulak goal, all the way up to about the fifty eight minute mark until the Brock Nelson penalty, it was dead. It was it was yeah. a library. Yeah, it, it was it was it was ridiculous, and there's no com- they didn't mention it, and it's it's refreshing not to have a broadcast that's not annoying you. You know, we, we have like the 18, I, mean, I wouldn't say the 18, it's not fair because Brendan's not doing it, but you know, you have, what's it called? You know, Kenny Albert, obviously Brian Boucher, Eddie, Oche, these guys, you know, Pierre talking about high school in Manitoba. You get a kick like out of Pierre. I know how much he annoys everyone, but no one else does it. To be that dedicated to your shtick, I, I respect Yeah, him. but like no one gives a shit anymore about that, you know? <laughs> I don't care Andrews Lee played, you know, was a starting quarterback. Dinah. You know? 40 and, and all this stuff. No one cares. Nothing brings nothing to the game right now. But how the previous broadcasting always mentioned, oh, how loud the crowd is, this and that. And they always compared, you know, the Coliseum. Coliseum, fewer people, always louder. You know, it's like, this is going to be like, you could have five people in the Coliseum on for game three on Thursday. It'd still be louder than it was in game one mm-hmm. in Tampa. It was uh, weird. John, you know, uh, Cooper um, said after the game that, you know, maybe his team's head wasn't in the right place yeah. for whatever reason going into game one. It almost was like the fans. Maybe that was the same thing for them. I'm really curious how both the team and the crowd comes out at the start of game two. Do they feel like, oh, we can lose this series here? You know, we, we you know we've lost game one. They handled us pretty well. I know we're the defending champions. I know we beat them in six games a year ago. You know, we, maybe we have to put our best our best effort forward, and and again, both for the fan base and and the and the, and the team. It's gonna be really interesting to see how how they come out game two. Yeah, you know, that was a curious comment. I mean, like the head wasn't in the game. That's your job, right? You're, you're looking to repeat as champions, and that doesn't happen that often. And the and the fact that you weren't ready for a whatever you're gonna call this NHL semifinal game one, you. They didn't sweep the Islanders. This wasn't the first round against the 94 Rangers where the Islanders got blitzed. 
this it was a legitimate series, a hard fought game six. I mean, game one, throw that out. All the other games were legit. So the fact to say that his team wasn't into it and that the crowd wasn't into it, it was it was a little weird. It's like they can never give the Islanders credit. These teams can never give the Islanders credit. You can go back to you know Pittsburgh, and then we all, all know we'll talk about a little bit with Boston. Give the team credit. They played a perfect road game. Were their heads in it at all? I don't know. The Islanders, they just like the hungrier team. Yeah. And that, that yeah. was kind of the word that was coming to me. It was like a, like a Rocky three, I have a tiger type of right. situation, right? Yeah. Like, you know, it's harder to, harder to stay on top than it is sometimes. Yeah. Um, that it is the, the rise to get right. there. And the Islanders with a hungrier team, it seemed, yeah. it seemed on game, game one, as opposed to the defending Stanley cup champions. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, withstanding the first 10 minutes, that's how it's going to be tomorrow. I think it's really going to, they're going to come out flying, mm-hmm. I think. And we all know. And don't give uh, them a power play. Don't, don't that's the key right play. there. Stay out no. of the box. Exactly. Don't want to give them an early power play because we know what, you know, 40% clip or whatever they had yeah. been at at the playoffs. Right. How dangerous they're going to be. But, you know, you don't want to give them a power play in the first five minutes of the game or so and, um, you know, fall, fall behind early that way. Right. And especially Marlon has a pension for giving up early goals. Uh, he didn't obviously do it yesterday, but he's done it in the past. So if, if he can just withstand those first 10 minutes, because I think the crowd will be a little lively. I don't can't imagine it being completely dead mm-hmm. again. But if they can withstand the 10 minutes, I mean, they'll be in good shape. Yeah, I, I don't want to get too excited. I mean, I'm old yeah, enough to remember game. a yeah. uh, 2016 series against the Shane Tampa Prince. Bay Lightning when Shane Prince and everyone else was scoring goals. Yeah. <laughs> the exactly. You know, demolished them game one and then didn't win another yeah. game that series. Granted, two overtime game losses, games three and four at Barclays yeah. Center. So it was a closer than a five-game series. But, yeah. you know, I've seen this team get blitzed and, and the series be over in five games after winning a game one. And even if we go way back to 2000 and um, – seven um i think they split they the split first two games yeah. i think the first four games of the series were all three nothing it was three nothing lightning three nothing yeah. islanders three nothing lightning three nothing lightning and then they lost game game five in overtime so um islanders have gone back to the coliseum or barclay center in the past split with the lightning team and uh have not uh, have not come out of it yeah and they've done that like pretty much every playoff series they've been in besides even the the sweep with Carolina and that's when they had home ice, but mm-hmm. they come back, you know, with, with a split and they just can't close them out of the Coliseum. We all love the Coliseum. It's, a, you know, it's a home ice advantage, but the owners never take advantage of that. They always seem to be, you know, two, two going into the fifth game. So they mm-hmm. immediately even if you go back to, um, you know, the Washington capital series in 2015, where, yeah, Tavares goal in overtime in the first whatever that was 17 seconds right and then they're one and they lose a tight game game four and then they yeah. then they alternate game five game six and then lose game seven so yeah. uh, it, it will be see I, we'll see we haven't seen the islanders have a situation where they go up two two oh on the road they had that opportunity in pittsburgh did not happen boston obviously a bit of a different story they get this zika goal in overtime to get away with a split otherwise that could have been a very different series yeah um, but we'll see what they're able to do um for game two but you had to be thrilled that if you were an islander fan it was the perfect game that they could have played on the road for game one and uh they're gonna have to play that continuing that type of style um, to beat this Lightning team, who's still uh, very much a favorite in the eyes of most of the NHL experts out there. Um, let's um, let's let's kind of go back. We we've been you know I've been busy, had another kid, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my second daughter Eva was born. 
um, 11, 29 in the morning, the morning of game six. Um, so, you know, streaming, streaming game six from, uh, from uh, maternity ward was not how I expected. Very <laughs> envious of everyone who's, you know, just a stage of life, right? And all, I just right. very envious of all the people that uh, are at the Coliseum right now, everyone living it up and going all to these meetups. <laughs> that is great. That is not in the cards right now. I, I have, yeah. I have, I have approached the situation with my wife where I have said, you know, if they were to make the Stanley cup final, yeah. can I just, I don't know. I know we just bought a house and we just right. had a second kid, but maybe I can spend a thousand dollars on a ticket yeah. <laughs> to get, to get in, right. you know, uh, cause that's how much it might actually be uh, considering it's, it's 12,000, 12, 13,000 people. I think yeah. it's going to be seven fifty to a thousand probably to get, to get in. Um, so we'll see, but I, hopefully I can, take part in some festivities. Um, although listen, it's been pretty, pretty cool just to, just to watch and I've had my daughter in her Islander Jersey and she's got the chant kind of down my two and a half year old. So that's right. special in its own right. But I am, I am a little envious of all the fun that I'm seeing online right now, but um, yeah, the, the, the Bruin series and, you know, I, I don't know how to feel about it because it was really on a thread, you know, the Sezikis goal, the breakaway, yeah. you go down 2-0, you may not dig yourself out of that. And, you know, game three that they lose, you know, what's really interesting as we sit where we are now is after game three, Varlamov was the only reason why they were even in that game. And it gives up the Berger of the um, Marchand goal in overtime, you know, very, you know, CNI type of shot. And my timeline was flooded with calls of you got to go back to Sorokin. And look where we are now, four consecutive wins for Varlamov. Um, and even though game game five got a little dicey in Boston um, at, there at the end, uh, he's been spectacular. He's been great. I mean, he's the, obviously the reason why they're still playing. I mean, I like like you said, my timeline too was just like get this guy out of here, you know, this and that. He he's probably going to finish fourth in the Vezina. He should have been in top three. Uh, he's had a fantastic year, but that's the beauty about the Islanders the last two years. They have these goaltenders. You can play both of them. You know, Thomas Grice won a game seven. Then they went back to Varlamov the next series. Same thing. You you have you have two goalies who have won four plus games. Yeah, playoff games. I mean, he's not, he, Trotz of. is not afraid to go to Sorokin yeah. right. if Varlamov has to come yeah. out of a game and the then stick with him. And yeah. he'll stick with that backup goalie, Grice or Sorokin, right. if they're the guy yeah. until they lose. Right. Right. He started game one of the Bruins series exactly with Ilya Sorokin. He gave him an opportunity to say, let's see how far this kid can keep on running it. Yeah. And he played an okay game. He didn't play a bad game. He didn't play a, yeah. uh, an awful game. He didn't, you know, it was an average game that he played. Right. You know, the Islanders overall as a team need to be better in game one to win that. And, um, but he said, okay, I'm going back to the guy who got me to game six of the conference finals a year or so right. ago. And, you know, even though he gave up that early goal in game two, he came back and he's got a very short memory and uh, yeah. you've got to have a ton of confidence in him. Uh, moving forward and it would take a lot for him to come out of the net at this point. Yeah, uh, I totally agree. Uh, but I mean, like a lot of the, you know, going back to Boston, I mean, they win game five and they, they held on Were their officiating play apart. I mean, officiating hasn't been great altogether. All I mean, I didn't really see too many bad penalties that were called on the Islanders or are called on the Bruins or not called on the Islanders. But the Islanders, you know, got three, three power play goals, which never happens. 
You, you know what? It never happens. Yeah. Stop them. You know, if, if you have a really good penalty kill and your your team your opposing you know team is having a struggling power play, stop them. Don't give up three power play goals. You know, you have the chance. Uh, what Bruce Cassidy said in the post game of Game Five was just he was he was you know razzled. He was just being very immature, non professional, and he thought that the tide would turn, and it it turned because the Islanders basically blew uh, the Bruins out of the water in Game Six. But Barry Trotz, you know, did a great job, kind of you know testing the waters with the whole Bergeron thing about him cheating on face-offs, which he does, but he's, you know, he's one of the greats and he can do, he gets away with it. Someone finally called him out. The linesman saw that he got booted out a couple of times. Of course, the Bruins, you know, it's a session to that, but you know what? That's why Trotz is the Hall of Fame coach. He did it the right way. Mm-hmm. Not whining and complaining like uh, Bruce Cassidy did that warrant. He stole a lot of t-shirts though. Was that? Cassidy sold a lot of t-shirts. Oh, he did. Oh my God. Yeah. That's <laughs> brilliant. He got the New Orleans Saints involved. I'm sure every one of the fan base has a New York Saints t-shirt. And you know, it's God bless to, you know, Vinges Ice Hockey and yes, no pun intended. Outfitters, they all have jumped on the train here. And you know, right rightfully so. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean that again, that series though. They, I mean, the Islanders got outplayed in game five badly. Yeah. They could have easily lost game two. You know, it, it was a very tight, tight series. It was a really good game series between yeah. the Islanders and the Bruins. That was it a was. great series. Game six, obviously, you didn't get a classic game six. Islanders handled yeah. them pretty well. Right. But other than that, yeah, what a great series. And you were literally holding your breath every time the perfection line was out there. Mm-hmm. You know, even with Pillick and Pulak, it didn't matter who the Islanders were matched up against. Obviously, when they were in Boston, they got the last change and had an opportunity to kind of match up a little bit better. Um, but, man, you know, you knew that the Islanders were the better team, but that line was just so dynamic right? that uh, it, it could have been enough to carry them off. And, you know, I don't love the fact that uh, we learned about the Tuka Rask injury after the fact like this. I mean, you had heard that he was banged up and then, yeah. you know, he had a maintenance, he had a maintenance day and that's why he was pulled before the start of game, the third period in game five. Um, you know, you don't love hearing that, but I don't think the Islanders care. Um, I don't think their fans care either. Um, I mean, Pierre was waxing poetic about Tukaras throughout the series, uh, even with how well yeah. he was playing, um, even even with that uh, even with that injury. But um, you know, it's it's just amazing. Now we've gone back to back seasons with all of these handshakes at the end of series after going so many years without mm-hmm. them, and back to back series being clinched on home ice, and these really special moments right. at the Coliseum. Um, you know, I, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but we talked about it on a previous show where Patrick Dowd, the sign guy back in, you know, 2015 had a, had a sign that says the barn stays open until right. a fifth Stanley cup. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, if you have a scenario where they leave, uh, they leave the arena and then come back and yeah. allow that for to happen. I mean, that is some magical, magical stuff. Right. Like I said, I don't want to get too far ahead, but let's hypothetically, they make it to the Stanley Cup. They're not the Eastern Conference champions. They're, what are they? They're not the Wales. I mean, no, I think they are. I think they, they, I think they said the, the winner of this, the winner of this, getting, getting this series so, will get the Wales. Yeah. So, I mean, the I way mean, it ended up factoring out, though, because of the seeding when Montreal won, you knew that the winner of Colorado and Vegas was going to get that. You kind of got yeah. this, 
you know, typical kind of Eastern Conference matchup. You didn't get any of these really crazy, crazy matchups. Obviously, Montreal playing Vegas is um, not not expected, but we didn't get two. We didn't get we didn't get two series that were were very much out of whack. Yeah, no, absolutely. But it's like for t-shirt purposes, like what do you put down? Are you just putting Stanley Cup final? You know, hopefully you don't have to put anything. I've I've been I've I've been a fan of teams and I've gone out and I run out. I remember in two thousand I ran out and I got the NL champion new york mets 2000 t-shirt like in between it was like six days between the start of that and the world series and i i couldn't wear it after the series was over (laughs) all right i I, got the yankee world series one so (laughs) right so i mean that's the thing yeah i don't i don't think i mean maybe i'm sure a lot of people would go out and buy them but uh i would i would hold my money and hold out hope that uh, you're buying a uh, stanley cup champion t-shirt at some time in merchandise um there's, I mean, there's just so much excitement though happening, you know, at, at the Coliseum. And I just want to give a ton of credit to, you know, the Islander organization. I think what they've done by bringing the Jets players around has been a lot of fun. I mean, the Feeney, Dan Feeney, and now they have a t shirt with him with yep. his um, silhouette Already. out there. They're raising money yep. for chip, raising money for charity. Yeah. Um, obviously, having Zach Wilson at the games. Um, Damien Woody, who's now been a staple for, for a number of period of time. Um, and you've had some other celebrities there too, as all well, people that maybe aren't always um, at the forefront of, right. of uh, Islander games. And then just seeing the excitement that John Ledecky has around, yeah. around here, you know, had a great Giannotti was at the games from WFAN and Ledecky was behind him and take that boomer, right? Yeah. He's just in there. He's with the crowd. He's experiencing yeah. it out in the corridor, giving these chants, beating the drum, I mean, he's been doing that kind of stuff since the very start, writing this, writing the LIRR, being, you know, at the Coliseum. But I don't know another owner that's doing this. And, um, you know, he's, he was doing it well before they were in playoff games. But, man, he is he's hit a grand slam with um, him and this ownership group. They must be on cloud nine having this type of team and this type of run heading into a new building next year. Oh, I mean, like everything has gone right. I mean, Ledeck even a couple years ago came to Bridgeport and was, you know, taking pictures with fans, high fives, handing out, you know, free swag. So, I mean, this in like, it's the perfect compliment to Scott Malkin, who's basically just in the background and letting, you know, John Ledecky just do all the, do all the fun stuff, you know, be the, be the, you know, figurehead, so to speak. But I mean, the arena, that's the team trots, you know, Lou, I mean, everything's fallen into place and it's just like, we're waiting for you know the clock to strike midnight, but it hasn't yet, and it may not. And let's hope it doesn't because this is fantastic. They're three wins away from making it to the Stanley Cup. I mean, after, after last year, where you know it was a great run, but the fans could enjoy it. The fact that they're doing this again the year after closing out the Coliseum, and they have two clinching games at the Coliseum. I mean, hasn't been that since '93. It's just this ride this well, when was the last time they actually had a lead at a conference final or semifinal, right? You have to probably go back to the 1984 team that ended yeah. up losing to Edmonton, right? So exactly. it's been that long that was... before they've actually led a series right. this far out. 93, they got behind to the Canadians and, you know, yeah. lost in five games. Yeah. Um, you know, but, you know, I love these Lou Lamarillo still shots because, you know, he's probably not even smiling through the mask. But the <laughs> fact sure that they not. go to him after these great moments and yeah. he just, he's just even more stoic than, than humanly possible, like no emotion. You don't even get to yeah. see whether or not he's grinning uh, but, uh, behind the behind the mask is even uh, a little bit that that much perfect. Um, 
I'm very curious what's going through the head of Anders Lee. Um, you've had uh, some videos of him on the ice, you know, skating and doing some drills. Um, he's probably just, you know, doing that to to get back into hockey shape. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's got to be a weird feeling being any player that's a big part of a team and right. not being on the ice, um, but to necessarily be the team captain as well and see your team going on that type of a run. It's got to be mixed emotions. you got to be thrilled for the, your friends um, and how close this team is. And I'm sure he's still very much a presence in the room. Um, but it's got to be an interesting feeling for him to see Paul Mary and Zay Jack make these type of contributions and, and knowing that, you know, they're not here if I'm, if, if he's healthy. Right. And, you know, you can look at it. He's had some bad luck. I mean, was it 2016, he broke his leg. So he couldn't enjoy that, that run as well to the second round. So he's had a little bit of bad luck in these playoffs, but going back to Boston real quick, everyone was just killing the Islanders for getting Paul Mary who did nothing in the, regular season he scored two goals in like what 17 games Taylor Hall changed the fortunes of Boston what did Taylor Hall do in the playoffs one empty net goal while Palmieri was dominating he has seven goals in the playoffs he looks great so that's another trade that's worked out for Lou and Travis Ajak who scored the goal in game six he's been fantastic you know he's keeping Alba Wallstrom out who's looks like he's ready but Barry's going with the hot hand why, why would you change it anyway I mean at this time of year you got the experience keep him in there Absolutely. And, uh, you know, Paul Mary, again, you have these dreams of whether or not he's going to be able to um, get re-signed, and it seems unlikely, but, I mean, whatever. You know, you, Don't worry you about swallow that it and you'll be, be, and you'll be okay. Yeah, that's, that's what um, you worry about for a month now. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, my interview with New York Post columnist Mike Vaccaro. You're listening to PT Isles, part of the Lighthouse Hockey Podcast Network. <laughs> I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. We're back. P.T. Isles, Joe Bono with you, now joined by one of the great sports columnists in New York, if not the entire country, a native Long Islander that grew up with the Dynasty Islander teams of the 80s. Uh, that's the New York Post, Mike Vaccaro, and he joins me now. Mike, appreciate you taking the time to give us some perspective on this current Islander run. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. Great talking to you, Joe. Looking forward to it. And you can follow Mike, of course, on Twitter, at MikeVac. Now, I had you back on late during the 2014-2015 season, final year at the Coliseum. I actually went back and listened to that interview last night, and you talked about how you felt you had earned the championships because you had been a fan of the team since 75. You lived through some heartbreaks, 78, 79. You know, but in the column last week, you point out that maybe you had it easy um, you know, compared to the 45-year-old under Islander fan like myself who's 39 now. Um, talk a little bit about what you meant in that perspective. Yeah, you know, I, I was eight years old when J.P. Parise scored his goal. And look, I mean, they had some tough playoff losses uh, in the next couple of years until they finally uh, scaled the mountain five years later. But, you know, they were in the playoffs every year. They were a very good team every year. They won the President's Trophy. They, I mean, this was a team that every year added a, 
a Potvin, a Trache, a Bossy, a Bourne, on and on, Tonelli, Butch Goring later on. I mean, so, I mean, it was always a good team you were, that, that, that you were rooting for. I mean, what uh, what uh, you poor guys have gone through, <laughs> through a lot of these years, <laughs> this is just awful hockey, but slapstick hockey, you know, and, and terrible mismanagement and, and just bad, you know, bad teams. Now, look, I mean, there have been a couple of spasms of prosperity, and, uh, you know, uh, one of the guys I talked to in that story, that column, you know, talked about the Turgeon hit that year. It was a great kind of nice little, you know, respite, I guess. But uh, it was really kind of after that that things kind of started to go south and stayed south. And uh, so, I mean, to see, you know, not just success, but sustained success now a couple of years consecutively. And also, look, there isn't an Islander fan I know who doesn't have complete faith in the partnership of Lou Lamarillo and Barry Trotz. And to me, when you have that kind of faith in the people who are running the team you root for, I mean, it's it, it's easy to get completely invested in. And to do this with another run at the Coliseum, again, I'll go back to that interview that we had on uh, 2014-2015, and it was just about coming out that there may not be an ironclad lease with Barclays. And, you know, you were very and rightfully so, pessimistic on the idea that some other grand plan could be realized. And here not only is the fan base on the cusp of going into a brand-new state-of-the-art arena in Belmont, but they get to experience this playoff run at the old barn in front of just about a capacity crowd, just adds a layer of specialness to it. I think you referred to the Coliseum as the raucous adventureland of ferocity during the Bruin series, and and (laughs) that's what it's been. It's been a special place. And it gets its due on these national broadcasts, and it's so great to see that happen one more time. Yeah, really, it, it really is. Um, that's kind of the special part. Look, I mean, I, I think last year's run had its own significant, you know, moment for a lot of people, uh, especially Islanders fans, because look, I mean, it, would, it was coming in the in, in, you know, the teeth of just a pandemic where our world was upside down. So to be able to tune into Islanders games every other day, regardless of where they were played, uh, was really kind of a joyous thing for. You know, even I think for peripheral fans who might not necessarily have have been there for every game otherwise, but you know without a real secondary option, you know really kind of fell back in love with that team last year. Uh, but it was but it was different. Like playing in a, you can see the games that you know, that the, the poor Canadian teams had to play this year, and how much different a feeling it is there than it is you know in the other places like the you know, like the island, like Boston, like Pittsburgh, um, like Tampa yesterday. Uh, where the you know the, the just hockey playoff atmosphere is really kind of on its own island in terms of you know tenacity and uh, it's great to have that back it really is uh, and uh, you know the Coliseum as we all know can can be an awfully large an awfully loud place I mean all due respect to the Garden all due respect to Old Yankee Stadium and Old Shea Stadium and so on and so forth which you know could generate its own noise levels but. Uh, I've never, I've really never known anything quite like the Coliseum in terms of a, just a ferocity of noise when things start to go well. Mike, have you had the opportunity yet to tour the new Belmont Arena? I know they've done several different press gatherings and season ticket holders, et cetera. Have, have you had that opportunity as of yet? I haven't, but I, but but, but I've, I've been promised one, so I intend to take a good look at it. Every, you know, like every every uh, report I've gotten from people I trust. Um, is spectacular. Molly Walker, who does such a great job covering hockey for, for the Post, she took another tour not long ago, and you know she couldn't say enough nice things about the facility, and uh, uh, you know, and, and, and that's great. You know, 
I, we all love the Coliseum. You know, I think a lot of us like Shea Stadium too. But you know, when the time comes and enough is enough. Um, and, and look, I mean, this has a different feel to it than when they left the Coliseum for Barclays Center because yes, it was only Brooklyn and it was only over the you know the the uh, the, the, the city line, I guess. But uh, it was a different feeling. For one thing, I mean, it was a terrible arena for hockey, but just the you know from a spiritual standpoint, from an emotional standpoint. You know, they were playing in Brooklyn. They weren't playing on Long Island. They're going to be, still be playing on Long Island now, and I think that's going to be a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I bring it up just because, there were, you know, there's so much about, you know, the new turnover of, of stadiums and arenas that we've seen in this area, and, you know, the fan base carries over, right? The Met fans carry over to City Field, and you have these moments where it does sound similar to the old Yankee Stadium or, or Shea Stadium or whatever it may be, but... You know, maybe maybe it's nostalgia more than anything else, but you know, obviously, I think it's also some new new stadium dynamics. But it sounds like this ownership group has really tried to make sure that it carries over that barn, small arena type feel while capturing all the new amenities and state of the art um, technologies that are available to a fan base. So I'm really yeah, was, I'm really eager to see how that carries through. Yeah, I would agree with that, and I think they understood. Yeah, you know, I, I think that there's a lot that the the new ownership group has gotten right. Um, there's a lot that they just seem to understand, you know. I mean, you can't you can't, you can't make a fan a fan if he's not going to be a fan. And, um, you know, somebody coming in from the outside can try and replicate, you know, what that's all about. But, uh, you know, there's a difference. I think I think there's a difference between, you know, John Mara and other football owners because he grew up just living and dying with the Giants. Same thing with, uh, you know, with, with Steve Cohen and the Mets. And, uh, you know, look at me, I, I can't say that I know exactly what the ownership's uh, you know, rooting interests were when they were young, but they've certainly been able to capture and have been sensitive to what Islander fans want, what Islander fans admire, what they like about their current rooting experience. And I think this is going to be a whole lot closer to what we're familiar with in the Coliseum than it ever was when they, went, when they were playing at Barclays. New York sports columnist Mike Vaccaro is our guest, P.T. Isles. Uh, you tweeted out this uh, a few days ago, um, quote, I've said it and written it many times before. If I bought a franchise, any sport, not just hockey, my first call would be Lou Lamarillo bearing a blank check. Um, you know, it's it's interesting because myself and other Islander fans and people that do what I do, you know, we don't love every move. Every move that's done is not, wow, how did he pull this off? We agree with Lou is doing. But – he seems to find the right type of player um, and the right fit wherever he goes. And more so than that, Mike, how much do we not take into account the culture account of accountability and expectations that he just brings by just his mere presence and, and the few choice words that he uses? I think that is probably what's been most impressive uh, watching him day in and day out now for the last three years. Uh, absolutely. And look, in fairness to what you pointed out about how he doesn't—he isn't perfect. He isn't infallible. You know, it, it, it's also—it's also easy to forget that you know, you know, a good chunk of these players were assembled by Garth Snow. So I think it's kind of unfair that he's kind of like you know lumped into the the proletariat of all the terrible, <laughs> uh, you know, just to, to just just no account people who, who worked for the Islanders. Obviously, he helped lay a little bit of the groundwork, and I think that uh, I think most Islander fans understand that and appreciate that. They certainly like to pull me back in when I, you know, when I, when I, when I try, you know, tend to, to credit everything short of like what uh, struts they used to build a Coliseum to Lou Lamarillo. But, 
here's the thing. I mean, I, I go back with Lou to the to the Devils. I covered the Devils uh, as a columnist uh, in in the late '90s, early 2000s. And my favorite team that I've ever covered, that includes some championship Yankee teams, two Super Bowl Giants teams, a whole lot of fun Mets and Knicks teams. My favorite single team that I ever covered was the were the two years, uh, 99, 2000, 2000, 2001 Devils. They won the Stanley Cup the first year. They went to game seven the next year. And I got to spend a lot of time around Lou, and I got to talk to, to Lou a lot. And I was just so blown away by just how impressive he is, how you, know, you bring culture. I mean, he does. He's very true. He has a very he has a very specific belief in how things are supposed to be done and how they're supposed to be you know, managed properly, and he doesn't waver from that. Um, and, and that was apparent in those Devils teams. Look, I mean, he was the guy who was ultimately in charge of the, of the two Nets teams that went to the finals when, when there was that brief Yankee-Nets alliance. And uh, you want know, to go back? I mean, he was the you know athletic director of Providence College. He hired a guy by you know by the name of Rick Pitino, who you know, that sounds like the easiest hire in the world to make now, but in 1985 wasn't necessarily so. I mean, he was a he was a, he was the number two assistant coach for the Knicks. Um, so you know he, he knows talent. He knows uh, he knows kindred spirits in terms of you know a guy like Barry Trotz to me. Just you know they they they, they fit together so well. And like you said, he's true to his principles. He's true to his beliefs, and I think that's what I've learned watching him operate. That's why I do think that his skills would look—he's obviously a hockey man. And he knows—he knows hockey better than any sport, and and it's a little bit of a hyperbolic, hyperbolic belief to say I would necessarily entrust him with, say, a soccer team, but I would entrust him with a soccer team. And I would because I believe in—I believe that he knows what he doesn't know, and therefore will hire accordingly. And will allow himself to, you know, to, to to make proper moves based on the advice of people that buy into his his system, buy into his culture, and that he trusts implicitly. And you know, part of the reason why I appreciate your writing so much is how you connect the dots for generations. I think of New York sports fans, and and I want to maybe get your perspective here is that we've seen great turnarounds from one year to the next, not just in New York sports, but, you know, in all different types of sports, worse for first type stories. But is there anything that from a cultural shift that you have seen that mimics what the Islanders have gone through from the changing at the top of Ledecky and Malkin ownership group to bringing in Lamarillo to Barry Trotz to a new arena? I mean, it's seismic, the shift. And it goes much further than just on the ice product and standings. Is there... Is there anything that rivals that in, in, in your mind? Boy, none that I can think of. And I think, you know, you, you, you accurately capture what this is. I mean, um, Islanders fans were always loyal, but I think they always felt a little bit like they were forgotten by the people who should have been caring about them the most. And I think that's why they stayed away as much as, as much as it was the terrible teams. I just think there was a sense among a lot of Islander fans that they just weren't uh, they, they, they just didn't matter to, to, to the people who ran the Islanders. And I think that that is really kind of the fundamental shift here. I mean, you know, you as an Islander fan, if I would have told you all of the things that are happening right now, you know, even 10 years ago, you probably would have said, well, yeah, maybe that'll happen when they move to Kansas City, but here, and right. it's happened here. It's happened here, you know. I mean, in some ways, I mean, I think it's fair to say that this ownership group has approached this market, like a virgin market almost, like an expansion market in terms of wanting to re-recruit even the most loyal fans. I mean, 
Um, and, and I think that it was smart. I'm not saying that they were on the verge of losing, you know, guys like yourself and guys like the guys I talked to in my column and, you know, the people you see who flock the Coliseum and, you know, wear their Islanders gear everywhere now. Um, but it, it was also not a bad idea to remind them that, you know, hey, you know, we value you. We know how important you are to the whole operation of what the Islanders do. You know, the players win the cups, but, you know, you guys are the ones who help get us there. Um, that was always the sense, kind of the unspoken sense in the 70s and 80s. And it didn't really have to be spoken because it happened so quickly. You know, I mean, the dials were terrible for, what, two years, and then all of a sudden they were good, and then they were great, and then they were historic. I mean, that's an incredible rise. I mean, that part you can liken elsewhere, like to the Kansas City Royals or to the Arizona Diamondbacks. But it's it's this, you know, secondary and tertiary generational thing with the Islanders that I think is unique. I mean, they went through that long wandering through the desert through the 90s and, you know, and, and beyond. And now to have what you have in place, it's hard not to connect what's happening now with what happened in the glory days only because it was such a well-run operation under Bill Torrey. They always seemed to get the right player when they needed them. They always seemed that now they didn't have to worry about going out and finding a coach because they had the coach in place. But, it, you know, it, it, was, it, was, it was a – you never – as a, you know, when I was growing up as an Islander fan, you know, I was also a Mets fan, a Jets fan, Knicks fan. I always felt those teams are going to figure out a way to screw it up. It was always the exact opposite when it came to the Islanders. I just always believed that that Bill Torrey and Al Arbor would figure out a way to make things right in the end, and they usually did. And I kind of think that uh, that's the thing that these that, that that this management group and the ownership group has given to these fans. Like I said, I mean, in, in some ways, very subtle ways, they've almost re-recruited a lot of you guys to say, "Look, we we know you matter. You've always mattered, but we want you to know." And it's not like they're going to hand you out free tickets or anything, but it's just this, you know, it goes back to the, to, 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 you know, kind of the, the mystical word in sports of culture. I think the culture demands that the fans are included um, and appreciated for what they do. Yeah, I love that uh, perspective there about the approach of, of thinking of this a little bit of an, an expansion team and then the re-recruitment of the fan base. I think that's uh, that's really interesting and not one that I heard before. Um, last question for me, more more general New York sports, not just Islanders, but I mean, are we living in a world right now where the, the Knicks and the Mets and maybe even the Jets with a new head coach who looks great on TV and wearing an Islander jersey at a press conference, um, that the competency is, is coming back to these franchises? And how much do fans just want competency um, at this point with some of these teams that have been so dreadful and um, so um, you know so poorly managed throughout the recent history? You know, I've always, I've always, uh, and, I, and I guess being a sports writer and not really being as invested from a, from a fan's point as they are, I've, I've always kind of shaken my head a lot, my, my Mets fan friends and my Jets fan friends and my Knicks fan friends, who always just kind of wait for the other shooter drop, you know, always expected to drop. And invariably it drops, but <laughs> to me, I mean, <laughs> half, half the enjoyment of being a sports fan is, is being able to absolutely uh, – back away from the table of reality and logic and reason and just expect things, hope things, believe things are just going to work out for your team. I mean, that's part of what keeps coming back. You don't come back because you know they're going to stink next year. You come back because even though everybody else says that they're going to stink, you think they're going to be okay. Now, they might wind up stinking even worse 
<laughs> and it makes it painful, but it also is what makes it so much, you know, so enjoyable when there is a payoff. I mean, as somebody who grew up, you know, one of about, you know, 6,000 people who would go to Shea Stadium every game, uh, you know, when they won the 86 World Series, I mean, that was an emotional payoff, you know, for me. Um, when I was younger and I was a Nets fan, same thing. I mean, you know, you would follow Dr. J and suddenly they won the championship and you're like, well, I, I get it. I understand why. And certainly that was the case with the Islanders. I mean, you know, uh, you know, you referenced this earlier about the, the playoff disappointment, uh, certainly the, the 1979 series against the Rangers, the year before that against the Maple Leafs when they were clearly the best team in the league. And, you know, when they won the Cup the first time, what they did was they shattered this notion that they were one of the all-time choking teams in sports, uh, which is ironic when you think about them and the, their grander legacy. And that's, to me, what, a, you know, what, what the joy of following sports is. But I also understand the cynicism and being jaded and the skepticism, especially because it happens season after season to so many of these teams. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it really is good to actually, like, listen to a Mets fan speak of their team you know, in such affectionate terms. I mean, it's so it's so nice to to, to to have seen the way the Knicks kind of captured their fans' attention, kind of maybe even recaptured their attention and, you know, demanded that they watch every night because they were so compelling to watch. And, of course, you have the same thing with the Islanders now. And, and uh, you know, it, it's interesting. It's kind of what makes, you know, the Brooklyn Nets so different because I just don't think that they resonate locally. I think that if they have a, a popularity base, a lot of it is elsewhere. Uh, they're more of a national team than a local team, so it's hard to find a whole lot of people who have the kind of emotional investment in them that you do with the Mets or the Yankees or the Giants or the Jets or the Islanders or the Devils or the Rangers. I mean, it's just a different it's a different animal altogether. That is so true about that. Not to, not to keep you, but I was thinking about this recently because I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, Mm-hmm. And so much affinity growing up with the Brooklyn Dodgers and that and what that meant for my, my dad's generation. And I lived in Brooklyn Heights until very recently, had a couple of kids, moved to the suburbs <laughs> like a lot of people do. And I was telling my wife, I'm like, there is a top basketball team in Brooklyn, New York, and I cannot get excited about it. Like that is that is crazy to me if someone would have told me that someone that dons Brooklyn on their professional sports team logo is not a team that I don't have this clear, just instantaneous connection to, but it just it just has not been there yet. It's, it'll be interesting to see if it ever comes. So that's an interesting case because now I covered them a bunch when I was working in Newark, and I can tell you that I mean, look, I mean, it was it was never a, a fan base that was going to uh, rival the Knicks in terms of, of of numbers, but you know, people who were Nets fans were genuinely Nets fans, and I think that's partly because they were identified with New Jersey. And it was separate and apart. It really is always a different market than New York, even though obviously a lot of New Jersey residents root for New York teams. But the problem with, with trying to establish a basketball team in Brooklyn, look, I mean, the Knicks play in Manhattan, so I mean, I think people think that Manhattan is like their prime, uh, their prime drawing area. Uh, I got news for you: Brooklyn, New York, is you know is, is overrun with Knicks fans. I mean, that's mm-hmm. basketball town. You know, that's the basketball capital of New York in a lot of ways. I'm sure Queens and the Bronx would argue, but certainly it's, it's it's in the top three. And so what you're trying to do is establish a basketball team where there have been basketball loyalties that have been, that, that have been built since 1946. Um, that's hard to do. Now, I think what the Nets are trying to are banking on, in addition to the national fan base, is also, you know, can you, can you, can, can you develop a, a new generation of fans who don't really care who their parents rooted for 
and who have grown up now in a, in a generation, like, I, don't, I don't think that geography necessarily, you know, dictates who you're going to root for. I mean, you can be, you know, an 11-year-old kid on Long Island and decide you want to be an Edmonton Oilers fan. You know, just because you can see their games whenever you want to, well, you got to stay up late. So maybe, maybe that might be a hard one. But certainly, if you wanted to, you grew up a, you know, a Marlins fan in New Jersey because you can watch their games if you want to. Uh, and uh, not that anybody would, but you, you get my point. And I think that that's kind of, the, I, I think that's kind of the thing that uh, the Nets are battling. I mean, they're they're the Brooklyn Nets, yeah. But I guarantee you that if you took a straw poll of who the most popular team in Brooklyn is, they would probably run at the very worst 70-30 next. No, they're an interesting use case. You're, you're right, because it's, it's a national team appeal, right? The same way I grew up as a Knicks fan, hated the fact that I had friends that grew up in Brooklyn with me that would wear Michael Jordan jerseys and yeah, wear Chicago exactly. Bulls paraphernalia because the Bulls were the national team. They could end up, you know, if they go on a good run, these injuries uh, don't end up uh, debilitating their season and knocking them out here against the, the Bucks in the second round of, of drawing those fans and making them fans for life. But um, obviously it did not work out for the Islanders in Brooklyn, but they were having no such problems on Long Island. And uh, hopefully between hockey and other sports, we get a lot of long playoff runs and a lot of full arenas and stadiums um, in, in the months to come. But, Mike, I really appreciate the time. Love your work. Follow Mike Vaccaro at Mike Back on Twitter. And uh, hopefully the Islanders get the attention so much so that they get a back page all to themselves in the New York Post. That is that is my big time goal here. <laughs> from, from your lips to God's ears, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mike. You got it. Thank you.